0: And yet there's also this sense in the Psalms of the absolute transcendence of God over everything that he has made. Um, Beyond the struggles, beyond the pains, beyond those realities of life that sometimes we would like to go away, that God reigns supreme, that God is alive and well, and that God thinks about us as his children and that he cares for us. And the Psalms sort of, reiterates that theme about the reality of God. And this morning, I want to talk about it uh, in the sense that God has revealed himself in all that he has made. And so one of the themes in the Psalms, and it runs through almost from beginning to end, is this sense and acknowledgement of God as our creator. That those things that God has created declare his glory, they declare his majesty, and they actually speak to the divine presence of God. And so the Psalms very often would ask the question, when you look around you at all that God has made, how can you say there is no God? When you look around you at all that God has made, how can you possibly, and this would be more an Old Testament reality, how can you possibly think of fashioning your own gods out of wood or stone? Gods that do not listen, that cannot hear, that cannot speak, and yet for some reason you're willing to bow down before them. The question I think the psalm asks is how can you do that When you look around you at all that God has created. In 2017, in the place where God has placed us in this very affluent country in which we live, you might ask the question, how can you be so willing to elevate yourself as somehow being more important than the reality of God? The Psalms declare that there is a song being sung all around us. And I'm going to ask the simple question this morning, how wholeheartedly have you joined that chorus? Psalm 19. I've used this before, and forgive me if you are one of those people who remember every time I use the same psalm, and you might say, Doug, there are other psalms too. This one, I think, says it so clearly about this reality of the presence of God that is all around us. The heavens, the word is declare, the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, and this is quite a statement, they reveal knowledge. And I think when I looked at those words, the reason that I put them in capital letters, the words are pretty strong. Declare, proclaim, pour forth speech, they reveal knowledge. It's not that these things that God has created suggest That there might be a God. Or give a hint. They declare it. And the fact that even those things that God has made. Can actually reveal something to us of the divine presence of God. And I think the beauty of these voices. Now here it says these voices are not heard. They're not speaking a language in the same way you and I speak. These are not questioning voices. These are not the voices of skeptics. These voices all around us in all that God has created simply declare the reality of God. And you might say that they declare it with a simple childlike faith. So what are you talking about? I'm talking about trees. I'm talking about hills. Hills talking about forests, talking about the stars in the sky. Those things that God has made speak to his divine presence. It's interesting, in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, Paul said this. He says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Well, that's probably true. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities his eternal power, and his divine nature. That those things, those invisible aspects of God, are speaking to us through all that God has created. Eugene Peterson put that same verse this way. He says, open your eyes and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes as such can't see. Eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of his divine presence. A week and a half ago, we spent two nights in a provincial park between Castlegar and Trail. Or between Fruitvale and Castlegar, if you know that area. Um, An environment that is incredibly rich with a variety of trees. Including west coast cedars and ferns that I'm kind of accustomed to from growing up in Chilliwack. And yet here, there was also these things surrounding me uh, in an amazing way and in a different way than what you see generally, let's say, when you're in the Okanagan. The park is called Champion Lakes and there's two lakes there that are absolutely beautiful and they're surrounded by mountains and by dense forests. It's a beautiful place. It's one of those campsites that, where you set up in your campsite, even though there are people all around you, you actually don't see them. That place was rich in beauty, and the Psalms would say, well Doug, that place was also rich in praise unto our God. That God speaks to us through his creation. And that creation itself speaks to us about God. And it's interesting that it's speech that doesn't require discernment or testing. You don't have to say, well, to a tree or whatever. Can you say that again? You just stand in awe of what God has made. And the question I asked this morning is, how wholeheartedly have you joined in that chorus that's going on all around you? I'm going to suggest three human tendencies that I think at times hinder us or get in the way of us fully engaging in this choir of praise unto our God. Uh, You may have other things, but these things sort of came to me, and I'm going to talk Roughly a little bit about each three. Number one, we tend to have an inflated view of self. And I think sometimes we miss a whole pile of stuff going on around us because we are so consumed with self. And maybe you would say inflated is not the right word. You might say we have a distorted view at times of self. And I think that's probably true. Number two, I think we underestimate the power and the value of creation itself, and I, I don't want you to think that. Well, Doug, you're beginning to sound like um, too much of an environmentalist, or whatever. I, I don't want um, I don't want you to draw that conclusion. Although I would say that increasingly, I think that as children of God, we need to value and protect the environment that God has given us. And from what the Psalms say, there is power in what God has created that it reveals to us the mysteries of the divine presence of God. So I think we underestimate it. And third, I think the older we get, the more we have a tendency to fight against a childlike faith. Um, In his book uh, called savoring and experiencing Jesus, John Piper said this. This is also something I have used before, maybe a couple of years ago, but I think it's a great comment about us as human beings. It says, we are all starved for the glory of God, not self. No one goes to the Grand Canyon to increase self-esteem. Why do we go? Because there is greater healing for the soul in beholding splendor than there is in beholding self. Indeed, what could be more ludicrous in a vast and glorious universe like this than a human being on the speck called earth standing in front of a mirror trying to find significance in his own self-image? And then he says, it is a great sadness that this is the gospel of our modern world. In our culture, uh, perhaps the selfie is a bit of an example of this preoccupation. And I'm not speaking against everybody that occasionally has and takes selfies. But it's as if we would go to the Grand Canyon... And with our selfie, it sort of says, you know what? Here I am, front and center, and oh, yeah, by the way, behind me, there's the Grand Canyon. I must be awesome. We get things mixed up. It's interesting, there's a recent study done by the University of Toronto. uh, This probably is not a surprise to anyone. Found that selfie takers everywhere might be a bit too into themselves. It said some other things. And then it said the study showed that people often perceive themselves as more attractive and more likable than others do. It's also true that many who complain about the sheer number of selfies posted on the social media, most of them continue to actually post their own. And so in this article, when it asked them about that, This was kind of what was said, and I think it's up there. Well, my selfies are fun and honest, but everyone's else's are phony and narcissistic. I think the Bible would say that we actually don't need encouragement to be self-centered. In fact, I think the Bible would say we need to fight against that. It tends to be our default position. And as humble and as much of a servant heart as you have, my guess is that you would also say, wow, at the core of who I am, I have a tendency to be very self-focused. The world is very happy to feed that mindset. Focus on yourself, Doug. Focus on those things that you think might be make you Happy or happier? It's interesting that Paul warned Timothy in the last days, and I should have put this reference. He said in the last days, he doesn't talk about wars or rumors of wars or earthquakes or famines, all of which are happening around us, you might say all the time. He warns them, he says, in the last days, you will find that people will be lovers of self, and they will be lovers of money. Presumably, lovers of money to help them love themselves even more. We often seek to satisfy ourselves by focusing on ourselves when that preoccupation, I think the Bible say, that preoccupation will not free you. It will actually limit you, and at times it will absolutely control you. The Christian faith, the life Jesus calls to us to embrace, truly sees life from a different perspective. That we are called to a life of self-denial. And we can say that, we can read that. It's a struggle, I think, for every one of us to truly say, Jesus, help me live a life that involves self denial it's a call to put the interests of others before ourselves paul says in one place to the church be careful that you do not think too highly of yourself this is not a message about beating ourselves up but i think it is a message of giving thought to how we live and ask the question how preoccupied am i with myself my pleasure my comfort, how willingly have I said to the spirit of God that also speaks into our hearts and our minds, how willing am I to deny myself for the sake of others. I think self-esteem, fulfillment, freedom, a sense of value, uh, which our world says that we should strive to find, is often most evident in people who have, you might say, gotten over themselves and have begun to nurture a willingness to serve. As people of faith, we should be evidenced by a love, I think, of and for God's people. I believe that love is evident within the church at Creekside. We should have a love for the church of God... We should have a willingness to serve and a heart for the needy and a heart for the lost. That we were created actually to make much of God, not the other way around. And I think going back to the Psalms, he's saying, you know what? When we look around us at all that God has made, The question of our heart should actually be, God, who am I that you are even mindful of me? And yet, you know, that verse also says that God has placed us just slightly lower than the angels. That he has given us and crowned us actually with glory and honor. But that glory and honor within the context of the Christian faith is meant to be lived out as a humble servant. It is interesting that God has asked us to be caretakers over all that he has made. That we are supposed to steward that beauty that God has placed around us. We are supposed to take care of it. And I think we struggle with this assignment and by we, I'm going to say mankind, that greed often trumps, what I might say in this context, green space. And I think in many countries you might be able to say greed always trumps green space. I think it's interesting that city planners are realizing more and more that cities that give priority to green spaces... Become healthier cities. That if, when people talk with pride about where they live, very often that pride is a reflection of the quality of the green space that surrounds them. And while they may not attach a spiritual significance to that green space, the Psalms does. And as children of God, we should. Those green spaces, in a way, call us to something greater than ourselves. I think as children of God, we should have a strong environmental conscience. That as children of God, when we soak up the beauty of God's creation, we are not simply soaking up the beauty of God as creator We are soaking up the beauty of God as our refuge, God our redeemer, God our comforter, God our deliverer, God our very present help in times of trouble, and in fact, we are soaking in the reality of God our Father. Which I think really explains why at times people, when they get away from, you might say the hustle and bustle of life, where they get away from, the center of a city, and they go someplace else, that there's a real way in which they find rest and restoration surrounded by those things that God has made. And I think the Psalms is a beautiful affirmation of this truth. You might say the rest of creation gets this. Hills bursting into song. These are kind of phrases out of psalms. Trees clapping their hands. Oceans roaring. Branches lifting their arms unto God. Rocks, it says, itching to cry out. If we don't, the rocks would love to. Psalms 96, verse 11 and 12 says this, Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the fields and their crops burst out with joy. Let the trees of the forest rustle with praise. The Psalms declare that there's a song of praise that all creation is singing. And it's singing it with a childlike faith. To what degree have I joined that faithful chorus? Psalms 100 encourages us, and as soon as I say this phrase, some of you will think of a song. The Psalms encourage us to join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, to thy great mercy, and to thy great love. Why is it that man, the crowning glory of all creation, at times is the most resistant to acknowledge God? We, the clay, like to question the potter. We often and easily doubt and become skeptical. At times we allow the wisdom of man or the current of culture to blur the reality of our God. At times we may evaluate faith according to the circumstances of our own life. So we make faith somehow about us and our welfare and at times we wrestle with God when we should be resting in God. It's another song, and again, some of you will know it. It says, turn your eyes. It says, turn your eyes toward Jesus. And the question you might ask is, why? It says, well, if you do, the things of this world will go strangely dim." And I think it's really, I thought about the word strangely. Like, what would be strange about it? It's like suddenly so many of these other things that fill our lives, those things we worry about, those things that are so earthly focused. The songwriter says, turn your eyes toward Jesus. You know what? In an amazing way, those things will suddenly become strangely dim. It's like saying, they will lose their importance, and they will lose their hold on you. Because we are looking at those things, the song says, in the light of God's glory and in the light of God's grace. If all creation, day after day, sings his praise without voice and without hesitation, surely you and I, made in the image of God, the crowning glory of creation, we who actually have been given a voice should use it to bring glory to our God. The Psalms speak to the sovereignty and the transcendence of God. Those who wrote these Psalms, these poems, these songs, these prayers, somehow were able to praise God in all of life. In the struggle, in the pain, at times in the loneliness and the frustration of life, the writers of the Psalms still acknowledge the great faithfulness of God. Paul embraced this unquestioning faith in the good news of Jesus Christ when he said, I've actually learned to be content in whatever situation I find myself. I think it's interesting that, God, that Paul said he had to learn that. So it, it's not an automatic change of mind or change of heart. Paul said, I, I count it an honor, actually, to share in the suffering of Jesus, my Savior. Paul said, you know, actually, for me, to live as Christ, to die is gain. Perspective, you might say, is everything. And you might see when you look at Paul, and you look at some other... Christian men and women of such faith, it's like they have, in a way that many of us struggle with, they have completely surrendered to the reality of God and His preeminence in all of life. I think Psalms 100 says, you know what? We did not speak the world into existence. We did not even speak our own self into existence. We are not going to find fulfillment in self or in money. He is the potter, we are the clay. He is the good shepherd, we are his sheep. He is the vine. We are the branches. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. If we learn to rest in that truth and not wrestle with it, the Bible says you will indeed find life itself. There's a great old hymn of faith that captures this reality so well. It was written as a poem, so in that way it's kind of like many of the Psalms. Uh, written by a man named Thomas Chisholm, who was a very sick man, physically struggled with health all his life. He started out as a very young pastor, was not able to continue in that role because of his health. Uh, But he was also a man who wrote literally hundreds of poems. And somebody kind of found a collection of his poems, and a fellow by the name of William Runyon found one of his poems, and he prayed that the melody that he would write for this poem, that it would be worthy of the message of the poem. And I think history would indicate that God answered that prayer in an amazing way. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. The writer of that poem wrote this, and he wrote more than this. But we have to realize this is a man who fought ill health all his life and could have been a complainer about, why me? How come God? He says, I must not fail to record here the unfailing faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God. That great line. Unfailing faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God. And that he has given me many wonderful displays of his providing care for which I am filled with astonishing gratefulness. That humble message, I think, mirrors the testimony of so many of the Psalms. And in that song that uh, Thomas wrote, he has that line, Join with all nature and manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, thy great mercy, and thy great love. So there is a choir that is already singing. There is a song being sung all around us. And I just want to encourage us us this morning to join in that song with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our strength. The great love, the great mercy of God who gave himself for us through the sacrifice of Jesus so that we might be made right with God, that God, our Creator, can become God, our Father. That we celebrate all that God has made as sons, as daughters. We celebrate all that God has made as heirs to an incredible inheritance that God has for those who love him. I'm going to end by simply reading Psalm 100, Um, I just uh, ask you to let the words uh, of this psalm speak to you. I encourage you maybe to read it often. It says, Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us, not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. You can just leave that. Slide up, and I encourage you, maybe read it, read it through a few times.